Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, we're going to open up Revelation 22, the last chapter in the book, and we're either going to have two more lessons in Revelation or three or four. It's supposed to be two, but sometimes I go kind of slow. And we are going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight, so hopefully you have a Bible, because nobody back there is going to be putting Bible verses up on the screen. Okay, Revelation chapter 22. The river of life and the tree of life. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I just pray that as we turn to your word that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart and the ears of our heart to see what it is that you want us to see and to hear what it is that you want us to hear. These things were revealed nearly 2,000 years ago to the Apostle John he was commanded to write these things down for all the bondservants of Christ throughout all the ages that we would hear these words and we would see these visions, Lord. And I just pray that our hearts would be attuned to what you're speaking to us this evening by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 22, and if we get through it all this evening, if the Holy Spirit allows me to get through this, we're just going to be looking at the first nine verses, but there's so much in here. We're going to look at a lot of other scriptures, and much of what I'm going to say this evening, I've already referenced as we've been going through the book of Revelation, but we'll look in a little more detail, or some of it will just be repeat, but that's good too. Revelation chapter 22, and to begin with, I'm just going to read verse 1 and the first uh, little part of verse 2. It says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. The first thing I want to do this evening is talk about this river of life. And it's something that we, we just finished, or I just finished a message on uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, two messages as a matter of fact, and we talked about uh, this river of life. And some of the scriptures uh, that I'm going to give you this evening, we already went over then, and I'll just give them to you, uh, just so you'll have them. Uh, but to begin with, I want us to look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. Now remember, this is the new heaven and the new earth, and this is a picture of the new Jerusalem. It's been two weeks since we had a lesson, but that's where we left off. He's getting visions of the new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven. And go back to Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah chapter 14. And in verse 8 of Zechariah chapter 14, it says, And in that day, talking about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, uh, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. So the western sea is what we call the Mediterranean Sea. They called it that also, um, if they spoke in Greek anyway. And the Eastern Sea, the rabbis considered that to be the Persian Sea, what we call the Persian Gulf. And so the picture is that the water, the living water of salvation will flow 
out from the throne of God, out from the New Jerusalem, into, say, if you look on a globe, the Mediterranean Sea, and washed throughout the entire Western world through the Atlantic, and then into the Persian Gulf and washed throughout the entire rest of the world to the east through the what we call the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. So it's a picture of salvation going out into all the world and the, the Spirit of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. And remember, this is not uh, something, well, it is something quite exceptional to us, but it's not exceptional in the sense that it's something that God never had planned, because this is how God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the earth that he placed us into before our fall into sin. And so much of what we're looking at, I've already talked to you about this, uh, we, we can't even really imagine it. And I know there's that popular song, I Can Only Imagine, but no, we can't even imagine, <laughs> because we've never even lived a, in, a, in, in a life or in a world without sin, where the glory of the Lord covers the entire earth. So we see these living waters flowing out from New Jerusalem to all the world. Uh, in Revelation chapter 7, in Revelation chapter 7, and in verse 17, uh, we read, For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And then in chapter 22, a little bit later on, it says in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So we see that this, 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 this river of water that is coming from the throne of God and of the lamb, and the lamb is our shepherd also. And he leads us and he guides us to the still waters, as Psalm 23 says. He leads us to these waters of salvation. Then, and then in verse 17 of chapter 22, it says that you can drink this water without cost. Well, if we go over to Isaiah chapter 55, I told you we're going to be moving around the Bible a lot tonight. But if we go over to Isaiah chapter 55, then we read in verse 1. And, and I want to do this tonight because I want you to see that these are not just... Uh, uh, one-off references in the book of Revelation that this is the plan of God revealed uh, even from the most ancient of times in the Old Testament. It says in chapter 55, verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? good word. We're going to come back to that later tonight. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I want you to notice the correlation between drinking and listening because the living water is the word of God. And Jesus is this water and Jesus is the word of God. When we listen to God's word, we receive the living water of the Holy Spirit, and he wells up on the inside of us and flows out from us. When we do not listen to God's word, then it's like we've turned the faucet off, and we're not receiving the living water. So there's a correlation between drinking and listening. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. 
So I'll, I want to, in just a second, I'm going to have Tanya turn on this little two and a half minute clip from one of my favorite movies. I don't really do this very often. But uh, I was reading this today, and I was thinking about how distant we are from this idea of drinking water for free. And what that meant. Living in Nevada, we have a little bit better understanding of that, especially if you live out where you are farming or something like that. Then you know that water is scarce, and water, because it is so scarce, is very valuable. Probably the most valuable thing we have on the planet, physical resources, is drinking water, right? And, uh, but if you live in the city like I do, and you've lived in the city all your life, then you, you know you have to pay for the water every month, but it's not that much. You just turn the faucet on, and there it goes. You know, there's water everywhere. And we don't really, because of that, sometimes realize the value of it. So as I was praying about this today, this picture came to my mind from the movie Lawrence of Arabia. Who's seen Lawrence of Arabia? Raise your hands if you've ever seen Lawrence of Arabia. And if you hadn't, boy, you've just missed out on a really long movie but it's really good. I like that movie. I love the cinematography in that movie and the way it's filmed. And I want just to have Tanya turn on this little clip. It's from the beginning of the movie when they're at the well. He's coming from like a mile away, a little black spot. And the Arab guide that's with him is looking, 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 and suddenly he realizes who's coming. The owner of the well is coming and grabs his pistol and then Omar Sharif shoots him with his rifle, rides up, gracefully gets off that camel, and says, he is dead. <laughs> and Peter Tullo says, why? You know, and he says, because this is my well. And they'll go on later and explain that that tribe doesn't have a right to drink from our wells, and they know it. And he says, but I have drunk from your well. He says, yes, but you are welcome. And I was just thinking of that scene tonight, and I really want you to just kind of get that in your mind, that that... You know, not everyone has a right to drink from the well of the water of life. Not everyone has a right to drink from the well of salvation. Only those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Only those who are truly following Jesus. Like Jesus said to that rich young ruler, you know, you go and sell everything that you have. And you give it to the poor and you come to me. If you're trying to buy something from God or trying to earn something from God, then you're like that, that Arab and it may seem... Uh, the, the one that got shot dead. The one, it, may, it may seem like, that's, well, that's not fair. Doesn't God want everyone to be saved? And yeah, he, he wants everybody to be saved, for God so loved the world. But not everybody comes through the blood of the Lamb. Not everyone that came even to the wedding feast came dressed in the garb or in the wedding garment, and the one was rejected and told to leave. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will in any wise enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said but only the one who does the will of my father. But for Peter O'Toole, for Lawrence in that, in that movie, he says, you are welcome. And he explains, because, uh, because you are my guest. Because you are my guest, then you are welcome. Because you came not to buy something, but you came to get it for free. And of course, Peter O'Toole doesn't understand that. And he hates his guts in the beginning, calls him a murderer, and later they become friends. But that's the movie. That doesn't matter. But what does matter is the value of that well in the ancient world, the value of that well that had been dug. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. So when we read these verses, the people that lived then and read these things, they understood that very well, that if he says, you can come and you can drink for free, what he's saying is, you're my friend. You, you are welcome here. In my father's house, there are many mansions. 
You know, there is a room for all of you. And as Pete was talking to me today, that, that city, that new Jerusalem is 12,000 stadia uh, in length and width and in height. And translate that to our measurements somewhere around 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. So a 1,500 mile cube. So there's plenty of room in the house of God for each one of them, uh, each one of us. And he says, come and drink freely from this well. In John chapter 7, uh, verse 37. In John chapter 7, verse 37. Uh, and we read this when we uh, were looking at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, so you know what the context, it says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, and remember that for seven days, the priests uh, had been uh, um, drawing uh, water with these golden vessels from the pool of Shiloh, or uh, Siloah. And from this pool, they would take that water and pour it on the altar. But on the eighth day, on the last day, the eighth day, that signifies or is, serves as a shadow of the new heaven and the new earth. On the first day, on that new day, uh, they did not do that. But Jesus, on that very day, at that moment, he stood up and he cried out loudly, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, in verse 37. So I am this water. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, remember this correlation between drinking and listening. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so here in the new heaven and the new earth, where Jesus is completely glorified on this earth, in all of eternity, then the Spirit is not only given, but he covers the earth as the water covers the sea. And this is what we were created for. So this is what we should be drinking of today. This is what we should be living in today. Just like with little children, just, I think yesterday, uh, Tanya was talking to Frank about something and talking to him about, I mean, basically one of those things about, you know, what do you want to do with your life when you grow up? You know, what, are you, what, are you, what, what direction are you going in life? And how are you preparing for that right now? Just like it is with little children, they're not walking in the fullness of what God has planned for them in this life, but we want to teach them from the time they're very little to begin to walk in that. And so we should be, this should be our goal. This is what we're, we, we will be living in for all eternity, and we should be walking in that glory uh, today. And so... Uh, Jesus is that living water, and he is uh, uh, sending that water out, which is the Holy Spirit, to cover the whole earth. Um, in the Old Testament times, and in the time of Jesus here in the New Testament, the time of the New Testament, uh, according to what's called the Talmud, which was a rab rabbinical um, interpretations of the Old Testament scriptures, and to this day, and a lot of it's just myth, but nonetheless, it gives you an idea of the kinds of things that John would have understood that the Jewish world thought. Uh, the, the pool of Shiloh, this, this pool where Jesus was on this, uh, in John chapter 7, they believed that that was at the absolute center of the Holy Land. And that the water that was in that pool, that it flowed from a spring located somewhere under the Temple Mount. Okay? 
And so then in Isaiah, and we already looked at this when we looked at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, it talks about drawing water from the springs of salvation. And this was actually called the springs of salvation. So it covers over the entire earth to the west and to the east. And go back over to Revelation 22. It says, he showed me a river of the water of life. Notice this, the water of life. And it says that it's clear as crystal. The word clear in the Greek is the word lampros, lampros, like lamp. Lamp, lampros, lampros. And it really doesn't mean clear necessarily. It can be used as clear when it's in a reference like this. That's an okay translation into English here. But what it really means is splendid, splendid, radiant, and shining bright. It's a word that speaks of light. And so the water is filled with light. It's not just reflecting light. All water reflects light. But the water of life, the Holy Spirit, radiates life from its very inner light from its very inner being. So it's splendid and it's radiant. Uh, in the Apocrypha, and sometimes I make reference to this, and then you go to looking for it in your Bible and it's not there. Well, it used to be in the King James Bible back a long, long, long time ago, and then they stopped printing it in the King James Bible uh, hundreds of years before I was born for the simple reason that it was too expensive to print that much, and it's not the canon of Scripture, okay? But in the Apocrypha, if you get a Catholic Bible somewhere and look that up or look it up online, in the book called Tobit, in chapter 13, speaking about the New Jerusalem, it says this, a bright light will shine to all the ends of the earth. And many nations will come to you from far away, bearing gifts in their hands for the king of heaven. The name of the chosen city will endure forever. And so this is the picture we have in Revelation 22 of the new Jerusalem enduring forever. No city endures forever. If I'm not mistaken, the oldest city on earth that's continually inhabited is Damascus. But no, and even the scripture speaks uh, prophetically of the demise of Damascus, which hasn't happened yet, but will happen someday. It speaks of it in Scripture. No city lasts forever, but the new Jerusalem will endure forever, and it will be a light, a bright light, that will shine to the very ends of the earth. And then it says clear or radiant or splendid as crystal. The word crystal in the Greek is kristallos. It's where we get our word crystal from. And its first meaning is ice. It's actually ice. And as you know, where those people lived in those times, they didn't see ice very often. Another thing we take for granted. We all have ice in our house all the time. If you need a bag of ice, you can get it anywhere. But you know, in the ancient world, ice was a super luxury. Supposedly, the first ice creams were made by one of those Caesars. I think Julius Caesar or somebody sending runners up to Mount something or other and getting snow and ice and bringing it, running it back down killing themselves just to get it back down and mixing it with fruit. Well, we enjoy ice cream anytime that we want. But ice was something uh, very rare. And they had the same word, crystallos, that referred to ice. And it also referred to any type of rock crystal. And, um, and so I like the picture of ice because most of the crystal we have, unless it's a crystal glass that's very fine made, most of the crystal that we find in nature is, is not... Um, as uh, transparent as, as ice is. Um, and so the word is speaking um, 
here of, of something that we read earlier in the book of Revelation, this, this word, Christolos. It's only used twice in the New Testament, twice in the Bible. And the other time is it's talking about the sea of glass around the throne. And this word for glass there is this same uh, word for Christolos, that it's like a sea of crystal, a sea of ice. And remember that John is describing these things in words that he has. You know, you can't describe anything in a language that you don't have. You can pray in the Spirit, pray in other tongues, as the Spirit gives you utterance. But the Bible also says you should pray for interpretation, not translation. There's a big difference between translation and interpretation. Um, but uh, that you should pray for an interpretation, something for your mind to be able to understand what it is the Spirit's uh, praying. But in, but in general terms, you can't describe anything except with the language you have. And John is seeing things that he's never seen before. And so try to put that up to the 10th power or the 1,000th power, I don't know, this picture of splendid ice, this, this picture of radiant crystal as he's looking at this river. Try to imagine the most beautiful river you've ever seen in your life and just put it a 1,000 times uh, even higher. But the focus really here is that it's flowing from the throne of God. And I want you to notice something here that it says that it is the throne of God and of the Lamb. But the word throne is used in the singular. So there is only one throne of God and of the Lamb. The Father and the Son share a throne. He is seated at the right hand of his Father. Now, if you were to look at the throne room, if you were to try to draw a picture of this for some reason, uh, you might go ahead and draw uh, two different chairs there, but they're going to be raised on the same uh, platform. They're going to be at the same level. You understand? There's one throne, the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb, and this river of life flows out from the Father's authority, from the Father's uh, ruling authority, from his dominion and from his power and from that of the Lamb, and the river itself is the Holy Spirit. So again, in the book of Revelation, we have this beautiful picture of the Trinity. And it says that it flows down the middle uh, of its street. Well, do you remember what the street is made from? It's made from gold. So, I don't know. You can't, an artist could not even render this in such a way. I mean, there's some good artists out there that's got some good pictures of this. Okay, But this is beyond anything that we can even imagine, but it flows down the middle of its street. But I also like this phrase that it flows down in the middle of its street, because you know, if you like to fish like I like to fish, uh, or know anything about rivers, well, they're not always that accessible. You know, to get to the good spot, it's kind of difficult. But we see that the river of life is accessible to everyone who would come and drink. It's just right there, flowing right down the middle of this street of gold. Look with me over at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, verse 1, it says that this is for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's set to Alamoth, and it is a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. How many of you have felt fear in your heart in these recent days? 
How many of you have felt fear and thought, thoughts when you listen to things? There's uh, a lot of people talking about uh, how close we are to a nuclear war, for example, to the end of civilization. And for the first time in my living history, because I don't really remember anything about Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, I've read about it, but I don't personally remember it, we, we actually are. And there's a lot of fear and a lot of really stupid decisions being made. Uh, but right here it says, we, we will not fear, though the earth should change. Well, who's the we? I want to put myself in the we category. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be a child of God, because that's the only place... Well, if you're, if you're not afraid outside of Jesus today, then you're just stupid. Now, I'm serious. People that are outside of Jesus should be very afraid. Jesus said, don't fear the one that can kill your body, but you fear the one who can kill your body and kill, destroy your soul in hell. It says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Remember, mountains are kingdoms. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We are the city of God. There is a river of the Holy Spirit to make us glad in the most terrible of times. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations help his city, help his people. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. That's not pride to say God's on my side. If I'm on God's side, that's faith to say God is with us. And, and he has, has made us his stronghold. Um, when... Uh, Years ago, well, where we live, live in Murmansk in Russia, in the springtime, and I'm talking about May and later in May, that's like the beginning of springtime there, the snow has been there for 10 months and it's finally all melting and everything, and all the streets have rivers running in them. And it used to drive me nuts when I first lived. You know, your car is always dirty, and everywhere you walk, you're dirty, because there's just rivers of water running down the streets. And one day, I was walking, and there was a bunch of water in the street, and it's just like running down the street. And this all came to my heart. I never saw that the same way again. I just began to rejoice in that. How beautiful to walk in the middle of the river. How beautiful to walk, and to, not just to wade, but the, you know, there's a scripture in the prophet's where he talks about he enters the river and it's ankle deep and then it's knee deep and then it's waist deep and then it's so deep that he can't swim in it hardly anymore. And this is the move of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to be walking in and moving in because this is what the picture we have of the new Jerusalem throughout all eternity. Okay, now let's move on and look at the tree of life. That's the next thing we see here. It says uh, in verse 2 of chapter 22, in the second part of the verse, it says, on either side of the river, so you've got the river going down the golden street, flowing out from the throne, and then on both sides of, of, of this river, as you're, as you're looking up this golden street, you would see this on both sides of it. It says, on either side of the river was the tree of life. Well, it says on either side, shouldn't it say trees of life? No, it says the tree of life. There's only one tree of life, okay? Okay. Um, you know, 
You know how aspen are, for example. There could be a lot of aspen trees, but they're all connected together as one. There's a tree of life. On either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, it says in my version, uh, but it actually just says bearing 12 fruit. So it could very well mean 12 crops of fruit, and that seems to be what it means in the uh, context. So having 12 harvests of fruit or 12 crops of fruit, yielding this fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, so let's talk about the tree of life here for a little bit. So it's on both sides of the river of life. It bears uh, fruit every month. So all year round, it continues to bear, to bear fruit. And, and, and then the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So if it's bearing that much fruit, obviously uh, the fruit is being eaten, right? And I'm just looking metaphorically at it or spiritually at it. I don't know what it's actually going to be like then, but even Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, ate fish. So if we're looking at some technicalities of what it's like to be resurrected, we still eat stuff. And a lot of things are still going on, right, that are just in our lives today, but, but much better. And um, so the tree, the, the, the fruit is being eaten, okay, because it's bearing fruit every season. It always has fruit. And since the fruit is being eaten, that draws our attention to back to the very beginning of the Bible. Here we are at the end of the Bible. Because at the very beginning of the Bible, God, uh, uh, because they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he closed the garden to them for one specific reason, so that they would not eat of the tree of life. Because he said, if now they will eat of the tree of life, then they'll live forever in their sin. There'll be no salvation for them anymore. And so the tree of life is shut off to them. And here at the end of the Bible, the tree of life is, is open to us to eat freely from this tree of life. And then it says that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there, there's a lot in that. So I'm going to take us back to Genesis 3-7. And I know you know these verses, but I just want to read them anyway. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. I love how the Bible from beginning to end has this continuity and things uh, are joined together and you do indeed have 66 uh, very different books written over a period of 1,500 years by many different men who came from many different walks of life and yet there is absolutely no contradiction in the Bible, none whatsoever and in fact it's quite the opposite. There is continuity to the Word of God because there is a single author. It says the Word of God, and it's written by, through men by the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, uh, in the uh, story of the fall of man, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They wanted to cover themselves. Sometimes this seems quite strange because this is husband and wife, and why would they care if they were naked? It's not really that they were ashamed of their nakedness uh, before each other, although they were. It's mostly that they were ashamed of their nakedness before God. And it's not that they were so naive before they just didn't know that they were naked. Before, they were clothed in the glory of God. They were created. We were created to be clothed in God's glory. And now they had to cover their, their, their nakedness because they were ashamed of their sin. They were ashamed that they were left without any covering. Every animal that had been created had some kind of covering. Feathers, 
fur, something that gave beauty and grace to their body, and no human body walking around naked. You know, I unfortunately have been to a nudist beach before on accident, and I can tell you, no human body walking around naked has anything beautiful about it. It's just not the way we're made. We've got to be dressed. We've got to look nice. We've got to make ourselves look nice, right? Well, they realized their nakedness before God. And it says that they took fig leaves and they sewed them together. The fig leaves, I actually believe, and I don't have any proof of this, but I've always believed this ever since I got to thinking about it, that the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, uh, or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fig. Why do I think that? Because they took fig leaves and sewed them together because figs are really good. If you like figs, I love figs and they would be very tempting. And they were told not to eat from that. Of course, it doesn't matter what kind of fruit it was. Uh, uh, therefore, it's not told to us. What matters is that they ate of this tree and the tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were commanded not to eat of this tree. And it doesn't mean that God didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. But what it does mean, if you think very carefully about this, is that God didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. He wanted them to know him. And in knowing him, they would know the difference between good and evil because he is good. Okay? But once they ate of this tree, it's like modern science. It's all about the knowledge. And the science could not save them. The science just left them naked. And they began to judge, and we continue to do this today, the difference between good and evil based on what works for me. So everybody has my own truth. That's my truth. That's your truth. That's what you believe. This is what I believe. Everybody chooses good and evil for themselves. And it was exactly what Satan tempted them to do. He said to them that God does not want you to eat from this because he knows in the day that you eat this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. In other words, the tree of the knowledge of good and, of good and evil is idolatry, to be a God unto ourselves. And so they took the fig leaves and they covered them over with themselves with these fig leaves. Now, I want to tell you, fig leaves are a very poor covering. I actually have a fig leaf here. And I try to be very careful with this because I only have five or six of them, and several of them have been destroyed already. Uh, this is a pressed fig leaf that came from Jerry's daughter, Sarah. They have fig trees there. And uh, she was asked me if I wanted some figs. I said, yeah. I said, send me some fig leaves too so I can use them as sermon examples. But I'm telling you, this thing looks like like, you could cover yourself pretty good with it. But you could never cover yourself with this because you touch this thing, it falls apart. This is the most fragile pressed leaf I've ever seen in my life. So don't touch it, but you can look at it. But they covered themselves with something that could never provide covering for them. And don't we do the same thing today? I mean, isn't that what all, you know, uh, you know what, what, what was it they were saying about science for two years? You know, follow the science. Trust the science. Why? What has it ever done for us? How can the science save me? You know, the science can't do anything for me except just be a fig leaf, just to cover over the nakedness. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to talk, continue talking about leaves, because we're talking about the leaf of this tree. Isaiah chapter 1, the, the tree of life, and there's a difference. Isaiah chapter 1, there's a lot about leaves in the Bible. You'd be surprised. Look in a concordance. But in Isaiah chapter 1, and in verse 29, if I can find that. Isaiah 1, 29, it says, Surely you will be ashamed 
Adam and Eve were ashamed. You will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired. Oaks in the in prophetic scripture are references to idols. Okay? To idols. Places where they worshipped idols. Think of druids in, you know, ancient England. Think of Halloween coming up and all the druids and all this stuff. They would worship these idols in, in oak groves and they would make idols out of the oak. You will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired or of the, the idols that you have desired, the gods that you have desired. And you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. The gardens speak of these places where they would worship these false gods. Don't you think that people today are getting to a place where they're going to be ashamed of the idols that they lifted up. They're going to be ashamed of the gods that they worshipped. Because the gods are like the stars falling from heaven and crashing to the earth. And none of them can provide salvation for a person. For you will be like, and then he says in verse 30, you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away or as a garden that has no water. So they covered themselves over with fig leaves and Isaiah makes reference to the oak leaf. But the thing about these leaves is all of them wither. All of them fade away. When God covered them over, he covered them over with blood. He covered them over with the skin of an animal because only the shedding of blood can wash away the sin and make us as white as snow. A garden which has no water. In Isaiah chapter 34, Isaiah chapter 34 And in verse 4, Isaiah 34, 4, it says, well, I'll just read the one verse. You can look at it in the context. But all the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. So speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, and all their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. So we have this contrast. We have all the leaves of the world, whether they're fig leaves, oak leaves, whatever kind of leaves your God bears on its branches. But all the leaves wither eventually. All the leaves wither eventually. And there's only one leaf that continues throughout all eternity and really brings healing to the nations. And it's the leaf of the tree of life. All the other leaves just cover over something for a, a time. Just like a band-aid you put on something that needs to seriously be treated. And they don't last forever. They may last a long time, but they don't last forever. As the scripture says, you can be sure that your sin will find you out. But as the scripture also says, sin is crouching at your door. God said this to Cain, who was a murderer. He said, sin's crouching at your door, but you can master it. Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is a healing for the nations in the leaves of the tree of life. Another way to think of leaves, and this is totally right for even back then in the time that this was written, are these leaves right here of the word of God. We call them to this day leaves of a book. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Nothing can heal our nations today. Nothing can heal our hearts today. Nothing can make things right today except the leaves of the tree of life. And that tree 
grows even today, I believe, even today, on both sides of that river of life and that new Jerusalem. I, I know with all my heart that new Jerusalem's already ready. Because Jesus said 2,000 years ago, I'm, go, I'm going to make it ready for you. And when it's all, there may be a few details left. When it's all done, you know, when every room is completed, he says, I'm coming back and there's a place for you in that city. In Genesis chapter 8, um, I won't open it right now, but we have the, the story of Noah in the ark. And if you remember, he sends out a dove, and the dove comes back with something in its mouth, right? He comes back with an olive branch in his mouth. He comes back with the olive leaf in his mouth. And the leaf of this olive tells Jonah that the water has abated from the earth, that God's judgment on the earth has, is finished. Just as we read already in Revelation, that there will be no more sea, that there will be no more abyss, there will be no more of God's judgment, because there will be nothing left to judge. Everything will be healed. Rest assured that no matter how difficult it may be to go through God's discipline, as Hebrews tells us that all discipline or all punishment for the time being is not fun to go through. But he's doing it with a purpose that he can bring healing to our church, that he can bring healing to our families, healing to our lives, that he can heal our nations. We read in Ecclesiastes Sunday, I don't know why I read it, it was just on my heart, but that there is a time for war and there's a time for peace. If you go through that time list, most every one of them, the bad things mentioned first. And God's telling you, telling us that, there, that in this age and in this time, that sometimes things have to be made right, but they're being made, sometimes you go through war, but the purpose of that war is to bring a lasting peace, to bring peace in our lives. So he brings this olive leaf back, which is healing. So we have the leaves that are the healing of the nations. And then I want to talk about the tree itself. And this is the most interesting part of this whole uh, thing to me. And I've mentioned this before, but I want to look at it a little more cl closely. In the Greek, there are two words for tree that are used in the New Testament. And one of them is dendron, and it means a fruit-bearing tree. D-E-N-D-R-O-N. It means a fruit-bearing tree. You know, like a peach tree, or a pear tree, or an apple tree. It's always called dendron. And the other word is the word Xilon, K-S-I-L-O-N or K-S-Y-L-O-N, Xilon. But Xilon does not mean a tree. It does not mean a fruit-bearing tree for sure. What it means is wood. It just means wood. It's the same as the word lumber, okay? None of us would look at a peach tree and say, there's a peach wood, but we would look at a forest and we'd say, there's the woods. It wouldn't matter what kind of trees are in there. But the word in the New Testament, this word xilon is exceedingly interesting. It's always used um, in reference to every kind of normal tree, except the tree of life. It's used to refer to wood, uh, to non-fruit-bearing trees. In Revelation 18, 12, when it's talking about the cargo that, uh, the, the, uh, that Babylon, the whore of Babylon, has been has been uh, 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 trafficking in. A part of that cargo is wood. And twice, this word is used there for wood. Things made out of wood. Xilon. Just like we talk about the wood, you know, on the walls here. That would be xilon, 
okay, but not a fruit-bearing tree, all right? And in, um, but only in Revelation is this word used for the tree of life, for a fruit-bearing tree, and it's used a lot. It's used in uh, chapter 2, ver- let me just go through these, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, of the xilon of life, which is in the paradise of God or in the garden of God. And then in chapter 22, verse 2, we just read it. And then in chapter 22, verse 14, uh, verse 14 It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. And then in chapter 22, verse 19, again, it says, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city. And in each one of these places, John uses this word xilon, the wood of life, the lumber of life, okay? Yet, it's not just something that's in John's, like, genre. Because in the Gospel of John, and in other places in the book of Revelation, anytime reference is made to a fruit-bearing tree, he uses the Greek word dendron. So why would he use the word here, xilon, for the tree of life? Well, there is a very important reason in the Scripture. And it's very much orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians chapter 3. Remember that when Jesus had risen from the dead and he came to his disciples in his glorified body, he still bore the scars and the hole was still in his side. And that John looked at him in the book of Revelation and he said, I see a lamb standing, but it looks like he's been slain. Okay? In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's the New American Standard, and it's King James. But if you've got a little footnote like I do, what it literally says is, cursed is everyone who hangs on the wood. It's the word xilon. Then, that is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 21 where in the Greek version of the Old Testament, they also use the word xilon. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the wood. And then look over at the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and in verse 30. I just want to overwhelm you with scriptures tonight so you get this full picture. It says in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. That's what it says in English. But if you look at the little footnote, it doesn't say that in the Greek. In the Greek it says, put him to death by hanging him on the wood. Xilon, again. And then in Acts 10.39. Acts 10.39. And there's a word for cross that's used in the Gospels. But in Acts it's not used anymore. And there's a reason why. Because all these scriptures are being orchestrated by the Holy Spirit to draw us to this tree of life. To understand that his cross is the tree of our life. Do you know the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is not plan B. The scripture says 
that before the very foundations of the world, he was crucified for us. And I don't understand that, and that blows my mind, but before we ever messed everything up, God had already provided the answer, and that gives me a lot of hope for my life right now. It gives me a lot of hope for my life, that I know that if I love him and I'm following him, I can't mess things up so bad that it's a surprise for him. He's ready for it all. Therefore, he teaches us to pray that we not be led into temptation. We can trust him. We can hold on to his hand. Everything in Acts is beginning to push us toward what we read in Revelation. Look at chapter 10, verse 39. Chapter 10, verse 39. says, We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the wood. Again, Xilon. And then in Acts 13, verse 29. Acts 13, verse 29. It says it again. It says, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the wood, Xilon, and laid him in a tomb. And then in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Peter writes, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, but it only it's the word Xilon again on the wood. And, and I, again, I want to point out, there is a word for cross, but they're not using it in the epistles anymore. It's used in the Gospels, but they're no longer talking about just some old Roman cross. And I know that people talk about, you know, I've heard, I think one time in Russia they had one of these things going through there. They have these little, you know, Orthodox Church, Catholic Church kind of uh, relic things, like somebody had a splinter from the actual cross of Jesus or something. I don't really put a lot of stock in that stuff because I'm pretty sure after they took Jesus off that cross, they just used that cross for some other criminal later. You know, I, I don't know that, but I don't think the disciples were able to, uh, you know, uh, secret away the entire gigantic cross and cut it up into little splinters. But that, that's beside the point. That what, what I want to point out to you is it doesn't matter what happened to that actual wooden cross Jesus was on. That's the Roman cross. But they're talking about something different here. They're it's not different. It's the same. He died on that cross. I'm not trying to make some new weird doctrine here. But I'm just saying they're taking it into the spiritual realm. And as I've told you, the spiritual is more real than the physical. And he's, they're saying to us that he died for us on this tree of life. This very tree of life that we were forbidden to go to because we could not die for ourselves. The tree of life, he gave his life for my life in exchange for my life so that I could eat of the tree of life. He died on the tree of life. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's repeated by Paul in Galatians, cursed is everyone who hangs on the wood, who hangs on that tree. And cursed we would have been had we eaten of that tree. And so God blocked the door so that we could not. But when the Son of Man came, born without sin, the Son of God in the flesh, and he lived his life tempted of the devil, but he never sinned, and then God set, led him to that very cross to die for us so that the way of life could be opened unto us again. And this is not something we should be taking for granted in our lives. It can become for us like the ice, 
we were talking about or the water we were talking about. You know, we got a good church. It's all comfy. Everything's great. We're just Christians and everything. But God is shaking up our world so that we would understand that we really cannot survive without him. There is only healing in the leaves of this tree. There is only healing in the water, the living water of life. And it is here for the nations. So this is that xilon. This actually, this very word is the same Greek word is used in the book of Genesis for some strange reason. It could only be orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, but it's used for the tree of life also in the book of Genesis in the Greek version of the Old Testament, even though, again, it's not the normal word for a fruit-bearing tree. So what, whether I've given you all those details or not, <laughs> what I want you to understand is this, that this is a reference to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that was not an afterthought. That's not something, oh, we won't need the blood of Jesus anymore when we get to heaven or something like that. Well, this is our life. These, this tree of life growing on both sides of this river. So I'm not going to get through all these verses tonight, but I'm going to do three and four at least, and then we'll probably get through the rest next time. We'll see. So in verse three, it says, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will have no need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and forever. I could spend some time talking about the bondservant part, but we've actually covered this several times. And um, how we were, the, 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 the picture of God taking them out of Egypt. And the picture, it's in Leviticus, it's in other places, when he takes them out of Egypt, is that he purchased them for himself. So everybody, you know, it's this idea that everybody is a slave. Everybody's a servant to something or somebody. And we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to Egypt. But he took us out of Egypt, and our, our freedom, and as Americans, we get this idea of freedom completely messed up because of the, how liberal the world's gotten. But Freedom doesn't mean you just do everything you want to do. We are free to serve God and not serve Satan anymore. But everybody, as Bob Dylan saying once when in his Christian album phase, you've got to serve somebody. Everybody's going to serve somebody. So we are still his bondservants, even throughout all of eternity. Uh, we still serve him. We're not slaves of Egypt. We're not slaves of sin, but we are slaves of the Father and of the Lamb. And yet we are his closest friends. He allows us to drink freely from his well. And, and uh, in, in the Old Testament, whenever, and in the New Testament, whenever any prophet or any apostle talks about themselves, they constantly use this phrase, I'm a bondservant or a slave of the Lord. It's a position of the highest honor. To be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is better than to sit in the Oval Office in Washington, D.C. To be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Just to be the security guy on Sunday who doesn't even get to come inside is better in the house of the Lord than to be in any position that this world could offer, to be a bondservant of the Lord. It says that we will see his face, that his name will be written upon our forehead, that his light will shine in us. We won't need the light of the sun anymore. We will radiate with his glory. The last thing I want to draw your attention to is this very curious phrase. It says, and they will reign, his bondservants will reign 
forever and ever. The reason I say it's curious is because of our idea of reigning, R-E-I-G-N. Our idea, it always has something to do with fixing problems. Because you think, well, what are we going to rule over if there's no sin anymore? Do you think like that? <laughs> I mean, if I'm the boss of something, that means I've got to fix problems all the time. If I'm a dad, then I've got to repair stuff all the time, right? I've got to fix stuff all the time. And a lot of times people, and I know we do also, we think, what, what, what in the world are we going to be doing for all eternity? My sister today texted me and asked me, do you think they have snow skiing in heaven? I, I said, probably. I'm, there's a lot about snow. Why does snow in the Bible? Why not ski in heaven? She goes, I don't know. I was praying this morning. I just thought, I just thought of mom and dad up there skiing with Richard and Mary. That was their friends I always loved to go skiing with. And I said, they might be. I have no idea what they're doing up there. And I said, but whatever they're doing, I know they're doing it in the glory of God. And it's way better than it was here on this earth. And I'm Sure, there'll probably be snow skiing if somebody wants to snow ski. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we have these questions. What are we going to be doing forever? Well, here it tells us what we're going to be doing. We're going to be reigning. The idea of reigning as kings is not an idea of fixing problems in the Scripture. The idea of reigning as, as kings, the actual word means to possess the kingdom, to cultivate, to make it better, to make it prosper. When God created Adam, and everything's perfect, right? There's no sin. He has a job to do. He's supposed to till that garden and be the husbandman for that garden and cause it to prosper, right? And he's given something to possess. And so we have this understanding that we're not just going to be floating on clouds and playing harps, right? It's not going to be boring. And again, we can't imagine a world where there's not problems to fix. I can't imagine a garden that you're tending where the weather's perfect and everything, but, but it would still need to be tended to, right? And, and so it's hard for me to explain it to you, but if somebody asks me, what are we going to be doing through all eternity? The only answer I can give you is we will be ruling and reigning together with Jesus Christ. Well, who will we be ruling over? Why do you have to rule over somebody? I mean, that's our idea of ruling. You know, if I got, you know, if I was running for governor or mayor or something, you know, my first thought was, now I've got some power. I can make people do what I want to do or something like that, right? That our idea of ruling and reigning means that we're controlling people. But that's not God's idea. That's not how God is with our lives. It's a reign of love. It's a rule of love. And it's a picture that I think, God has given us in Scripture so that we would model our lives after it, and it's not easy. That we would not be people, that we would be a people of God who, who, who love. Whatever authority we have in life, whatever power we have in life, that we use that authority, we use that strength and that power, that dominion, that possession in love to bring out the best and to cultivate the garden that God ha has given us not to manipulate and control people. So this idea of reigning, we've gone through this. I've got a lot of scriptures here, but from Daniel chapter 7, a lot of different places, but it's throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again. It's, it's told to us, and this picture is shown to us, and it's given to John, and we're not going to get to these verses, but the next verses tell us that this is being revealed to you, John, so that you would tell it to my bondservants so that they would have this information today. So if you know 
today that, that you're going to be a king or a queen or a prince or princess, whatever it's called, you're going to rule and reign someday, then how should you be living today? How should you be living today so that you won't be ashamed then when he puts that robe of glory on you, you know, like the prodigal son when he came home? Can you just feel the shame that the prodigal son felt? You know, he would have felt better if his dad would have slapped him and said, okay, I'll let you be a slave here, and that's it. But when the father loved him and put the ring on his finger and put the robe on his back and killed the fatted calf for him, you know, it must have just broke his heart with a, a holy and a righteous shame. You know, that just the, the power of God's love. And if we know that's who he's grooming us for or educating us for or raising us for, then we, we should be busy learning our lessons <laughs> so that we can understand what it means to rule and to reign. Because the scripture actually says that we will rule and reign in this life also not only in the life to come. Amen? Well, let's stand together and let's pray. I, I do think we'll get through this next Tuesday. Maybe not. We'll see. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I just really, as we got a lot of information tonight, I pray as we go back and go home and just read this chapter and read these chapters, read this book over and over again, that these things would become more and more real to us, Lord. That this is our home forever. That you said, Jesus, I'm going to make this place ready for you. And if that wasn't true, I wouldn't have told that to you. So that where I am, you may be also. And if you think that there's not enough room for you there, there's a room for everyone there. In my father's house, there are so many mansions. There's so much place for you. There's so much freedom, so much life. Father, I just pray that you would wash over us with your Holy Spirit today. I just pray like the, like the undercurrent of a river that, that just somebody gets in and begins to play around in the river ankle deep and it just tows them under, takes them out where they can't even swim. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would flow in our lives, that we would know the move of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just, we miss you. We desire you, Lord. Help us to walk along that street where the river flows right down the middle. Eat of the tree of life, even today, because we have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Live in your word and listen to your word and drink of your word, Lord, in our lives. And let your Holy Spirit flow out of our innermost being to the west and to the east, Lord, and just cover over our lives with the Holy Spirit, just like the water covers over the sea. We hope you enjoyed the message. We Before give you, you praise leave, and glory and honor you this evening. Jesus' updates name, on new sermons amen. That you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.